0: Acts 23 and verse 12. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we've killed Paul. Now, therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the place. But the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander. For he has something to report to him, so he took him and he led him to the commander and said, "Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you, since he has something to tell you." The commander took him by the hand, stepping aside, began to inquire of him privately, "What is it that you have to report to me?" And he said, "The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council, as though they were going to inquire." somewhat more thoroughly about him. So do not listen to them for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or to drink until they slay him. And now they are ready and waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man go instructing him, tell no one that you have notified me of these things. Okay, so Paul is in prison. He's been there for for a day. He's been through an awful lot, as we've discussed before. There's this plot against his life, as we had mentioned last time. But the son of Paul's sister heard about this. Now, he, uh, th- this, this son of Paul's sister may have been a zealot. The zealot were a group of, of radical Jews who would often kill people in their zeal for Judaism they they uh, actually ended up uh killing uh the high priest Ananias several years later because he had favored uh he was so close to to uh favoring the romans in many of his decisions but it's not known exactly how he had be- become part of the crowd but what's interesting is that he was there and he heard this and he wanted to protect his uncle you know and i think about this even though paul was of this radical sect which was a sect in their eyes uh, following this Jesus the, as the Messiah, still there was a devotion to Paul by this young man. And, and, and if you think about it, within a family there's this devotion. So, so sometimes believers have a tendency to, to throw themselves so much into fellowship with their other believers in the church that they neglect their family. And, and even their family may be unbelievers or something. But the bonds that come in a family... Are really for a lifetime, and so you want to nurture those. You want to maintain the relationships with family. You want to maintain the relationships with parents. And and you know, you know there's something that 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 I do each week. I speak on the phone to my parents, and it's just a a practice I've I've done for many many years. And just to each speak each week with them. And and uh, so maintain that maintain that relationship because a family is really there for an awfully long time. So Paul, it's interesting that Paul is able to make a request. So this young man comes and tells this to Paul. Paul makes a request. Right away, they send it to the commander. Paul already has garnered respect in the prison. The man says, Paul the prisoner sent me. It called me to him and asked me to lead this young man. So Paul the prisoner, he already has a reputation. And his name is there. Because Paul is an unusual prisoner. The man is so articulate. He's a Roman citizen, but he's able to speak Hebrew fluently, and he's able to speak Greek. So he's going back and forth speaking to these people, so he's obviously a very learned man. Now, this is not an easy thing. You know, after doing prison ministry for many years, I know that there are men that can be thrown in jail for a few nights, and it doesn't even phase them. But for Paul, this is not a normal, typical place. Being in jail is a a very uncomfortable experience for those who haven't frequently been in jail. And in the midst of this, Paul is thinking rationally and he says, okay, go and and bring this young man to the commander. The young man tells the commander and you think, well, why doesn't the commander just now that he knows about this ambush just set a bunch of guards and kill these 40 people? Well, this Kiliarch who's over a thousand troops doesn't want any trouble. You talk to any police chief they would much rather head off trouble than to have all sorts of bloodshed in the, in the streets. They really wanted to head this off, and the Jews were a very influential group of people. They, they had appealed to Caesar Nero, and, and in, in fact, uh, we're going to read about Felix in just a bit, and, and what got rid of Felix is that there was a controversy in Caesarea... Where there were some, some Jews and some Gentiles who'd gotten in a fight and Felix sent some of his soldiers, killed a bunch of the Jews, the Jews appealed to Nero, and Nero took Felix right out of his office from Caesarea, called him back to, to Rome, and had him deposed. So, so, uh, uh, the Jews were an influential group of people. And, uh, they were, there were groups of them that were very well educated. So he just wanted no trouble. So what the commander does, Is in verse 23, we'll read about this, how he calls and he makes a provision for Paul to be sent to Caesarea to be be, uh, decided upon by Felix. So you see in Acts chapter 23, verse 23, it says, And he called two of the centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea, and 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him to safety to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter having this form, Claudius Liphius to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews, I was about to sl- uh, he was, and he was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. And I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatras. But, but the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. And when these came to Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor, and they also presented Paul to him. And when he had read it, he asked from which province he was, and he, when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium. Okay, so Paul is, is so the commander wants no trouble, no bloodshed, said, and this is often what people do. You have a problem, what do you do? Just just pass it on up to your boss. You know you know there's going to be trouble. This is a very typical thing to do. So he's got this problem now. He has this person in jail. But it's interesting to see what he writes in his letter. His name is Claudius Lysias. This is the Kiliarch, the one who's over a thousand troops, who has ten centurions working under him. He writes this letter to the governor, Felix. And and the governor here is... is, uh, um, is, is the procurator, much that we had, had generally we, we hear about uh, Pilate, who during the days of, of Jesus was pro- procurator. This is what Felix is, now his, his residence there is in, in Caesarea. So Caesarea is, is, is a, right on the Mediterranean coast, it takes about an hour to drive, right now if you were to drive from Jerusalem to Caesarea, about an hour, it's about 65 miles and so this place, Antipatris, is about 30 miles of the 65 miles. And that's what they traveled that first night. He sends, she called two centurions. So that was the 200 soldiers that it talks about. And then with them, uh, uh, they, they, they sent also um, 70 horsemen and also a ride for, for Paul and 200 spearmen. So that they could move rather quickly. So the spearmen and the soldiers go 30 miles that first night, and then the horsemen just go the rest of the way, the other 35 miles. Uh, and, and they take him. But look what he writes. He says, This man was arrested by the Jews, in verse 27. This man was arrested by the Jews. That's true. He was arrested by the Jews, and they were about, he was about to be slain. That's true. Remember, they were about to kill him. He says, I came upon them with the troops and rescued him. That's true. He came upon them and he had rescued Paul from being killed by them. He says, having learned that he was a Roman. That's not exactly true. It's not that he had learned that he was a Roman and said, oh, let me go save the Roman citizen. He saved Paul because he wanted to know what was going on and then he put him in thongs, had him bound in chains illegally and then found out he was a Roman. But this is exactly how you and I Or at least I would write about something that I did that wasn't quite right. I wouldn't lie about it, but I wouldn't put all the details of the things that I might have done wrong. This is exactly... It makes sense. This is a a typical letter that a person would write who had done big wrong. Remember, they had Paul in chains and Paul says, "Uh, By the way, is it okay for you to condemn, to to, uh, uh, flog a, a Roman and put him in chains? And they go... Gulp, you're a Roman, and, and you know, they all back off, they take his chains. Claudius Lysias mentions nothing of that. But this is exactly how a person would write. It all makes sense. And then he says he wanted to hear what, what was the offense that this man had done. In verse 28, he says, I had them brought, I had them brought down to their council as he had done. And then he says, I found in him to be accused over questions of the Lord, but under no accusation deserving of death or imprisonment. This is the judgment of Claudius Lysias, who's the soldier over this area. He found nothing in Paul worthy of death or imprisonment or of chains. Nothing. So he should have let him go. He should have let him go. But he says, I'm sending him down to you because there's a plot and there may be more here. I don't know what's going on, so I'm just going to pass this problem to you. The last thing I need to do is go out and have a confrontation with 40 men that are bound to kill themselves for this guy, have some of my soldiers be lost, have a bunch of Jews be killed, and have a bunch of other collateral damage take place, and probably a bunch of other people be killed by my soldiers too, and have all that problem and be brought back by Nero to Rome and have to, you know, stand before him. I want nothing to do with this here. You take him. So he sends him to Felix. Felix reads the letter, finds out what province he's from, and Felix wasn't over Cilicia, but Felix was under the commander, the, the governor of all of Cilicia. So as, as, as his deputy, he could certainly try this case. He says, I'll hear him. So he, puts, he keeps uh, uh, Paul in Herod's praetorium. So within that royal residence, there was a jail. And that's where he's keeping Paul. So let's look at chapter 24, verse 1. Five days after the high priest, Ananias came down... At five days after, five days the high priest Ananias came down with some of the elders, with an attorney named uh, Tertullus, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, "Since we have through you attained much peace, and since your providence and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation." We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. For we have found this man a real pest, a fellow who stirs up dissensions among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, and then we arrested him. We wanted to judge him according to our own law, but Lysias the commander came along and with much violence took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. By examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. Okay, so they come with a governor. I'm sorry, with a lawyer, so so the Jews are coming, the high priest, so this is a big thing in his whole entourage, and some of the elders are coming. And so this is after five days. So in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, after five days, the high priest and the accusers came. So remember, we're going to, so so Paul was was doing his his offerings for about five days, his his Nazarite vows. Then he gets picked up, gets beaten, spends the night in prison, that's day six. And then he's, he's one night in being transferred to Caesarea. That's day seven. And then after five more days, this trial begins. So he's 12 days since he came into Jerusalem. This is the amount of time. So now Paul has spent five more days in jail. Now think about this. You spend five days in jail. you know, you, you, Your Christian grace begins to fail very quickly. You know, if if we're well fed and we've had good sleep and nobody has got us too stirred up, we can be in a good mood and be ready to, you know, to do business. But think of what this man has been through. And now he comes and these guys come with lawyers and the whole entourage. They're all set for this thing. And so this, this lawyer who understands Roman law is there and look at his accusations. First of all, he starts praising Felix. Now, let me tell you about Felix. Felix was a nasty, mean guy. He wasn't a nice guy. He, uh, uh, there was a lot of trouble that he had caused. He was also extremely lustful. And uh, we're, we're going to read about his wife, his third wife, Drusilla, who, who at the time that he married her was 16, and he took her from another person. Uh, so he, 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 And he was also quite corrupt, as we're going to see later on in this chapter. But what they do is they start coming with all sorts of flattery, saying, since... We, in verse, in verse 2, since we have through, your, uh, through you attained much peace and since, your providence, and, and, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for the nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with thankfulness. So it's all this, this, this flop that really isn't true. And so look at their accusations. He says in verse 5, he's a real pest. Well, what does that mean? He's a real pest. That's nothing worthy of death. He's a real pest. He says that uh, um, he stirs up dissensions or insurrections. So that's the accusation. That's a big accusation if he's stirring up dissensions uh, among all the Jews throughout the whole world. And he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. It's interesting what they call this. The Jews themselves have told this lawyer to say this. he is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. This faith in Christ as the Messiah was considered very much a part of the Jewish faith. But it was a sect. It was a sect among the Jews. That's how it was viewed at this time in the book of Acts, up to this time. It was a sect among the Jews, much like Pharisaism. So if you, if you turn over to Acts chapter 26, verse 5, it says... Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. Pharisaism was another sect among Judaism. So at this time, at this point in in history, still, Paul and the other believing Jews, it was considered a sect, just like Pharisaism was a sect among Judaism. It was not considered a separate religion. They were not considered outcasts of the faith. It was considered a sect. And they say of Paul that he was a ringleader of that sect. That's the accusation. In verse 6 it says, He tried to desecrate the temple. And that's when we arrested them. And remember, they had the right to protect their temple from desecration, even to the point of killing a person. So they were allowed to do this. And, and uh, uh then, then the Jews joined in with this accusation. Now look at how Paul defends himself in, in, in chapter 24, verse 10. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, "Knowing that for many years you have been judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense, since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, Neither in the temple nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself, did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and is written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous the End of the wicked. Okay, so Paul goes about defending himself. The first thing he says is no flattery for Felix. He doesn't deal with that. No flattery. All he says is, um, he says, you have been governor for many years and I cheerfully make my defense. And Felix had been governor for many years. He'd been the procurator for many years. So he understood Jewish custom. And in that, then Paul says, I cheerfully make my defense. What, what, what does the NIV say? Gladly. gladly. So I gladly or cheerfully make my defense. This man is, is in a prison. He's bound with chains. So, it, it, you, you know, you're bound with chains. This is not bound with chains for five minutes. This is bound with chains for five days. You're bound with chains. You know, you've got you to do your business and all sorts of stuff. You're bound with chains. It's, a, it's not an easy thing to do. He's not been able to wash and and wash up or anything. And he says, I am glad to give my defense. I mean, he's got such an attitude about him. You think, how does this happen? And it is all God. This is God. God gives us attitudes that we just don't deserve to have in the midst of things. I looked at this and Paul said, you know, I gladly make my, I cheerfully make my defense to you. <laughs> He's cheerful about this. It's a very different sort of attitude. Proverbs twenty nine verse six. Proverbs twenty nine verse six. By transgression by transgression an evil man is ensnared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. There is a rejoicing that comes because of righteousness. When you walk uprightly, there's a rejoicing that comes, but there's transgression makes life very hard it really makes life hard. When we are not confessing of our sins, it makes, us, it, makes it very hard to stand in boldness. Look in Psalm. Just, just before Proverbs, you got the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. Now, this is, this is a psalm about, about um, uh, keeping silent about one's sin. In Psalm chapter 32, verse 3, it says... Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we keep quiet about things, and don't have a depth of relationship with God, it is very hard to make this stand. Let me give you an example. I had a student in my office, and she was going out for a job interview. And uh, uh, so I gave her some tips on, 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 on how, to, how to interview and, and things that she should say to the person interviewing her. And then I said, Plus, you're a believer, so let's just pray, because you can pray and ask God. To help you. And there was this countenance on her face that just dropped. And I know why it dropped. It dropped because she's a believer. And she's living with her boyfriend. And what's happened in her life. Is that the ability to trust God. For His blessing and His grace is lost when there's an open walking in sin. The ability to trust God and to walk in His power and His grace and to trust Him to pour out power is not there. And it's not that God doesn't bless. It's the inability... To be able to trust God for His blessing, and this is exactly what the psalmist is saying. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. When a believer walks in sin, it is different than when an unbeliever walks in sin. When an unbeliever walks in sin, very often they don't know what their right, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. They don't know, as as God puts it in the Bible to Jonah, He says they don't know their right hand from their left. But when the believer openly walks in something that they know is wrong, it makes faith ineffective. It really makes faith ineffective. So much so that somebody says, let's pray and God will help you. The countenance just drops. Because the ability to walk in faith and trust in God, it's just as the psalmist says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. And you will see a believer who is openly walking in something that they know is wrong and without re- confessing. And it's not a matter of the believer feeling bad about their sin. Repentance is very different than remorse. Remorse is, I know I'm wrong. I know it's wrong. And I'm sorry about that. That is remorse. Repentance means turn. means 180 degree turn. That's what repentance means. It says, I am going this way, I will now go that way. It is different than remorse. I have seen men remorseful for their sins. I've seen it. Where they said, I'm sorry, I feel bad. But unwilling to turn from it. So, remorse is different than repentance. God calls us to repentance. This young lady's countenance could be sprung to life again but not when she's living in a way that she knows is openly wrong. And the amazing thing is, it's going to hurt her marriage, and, and, and uh, uh, it's going to hurt her future. I know several young women who want very much for their boyfriends to ask them to, to uh, uh, if, if they'd marry them. But their boyfriends year after year after year don't do this. And it's because they're sleeping with their boyfriends. And, and, uh, uh, they just totally blind and don't see. If you will walk in God's way, God will take care of these things. And it's gonna hurt your future marriage. And it's not just this. There are many things that there may be in our life, but this psalmist says, when I acknowledge my sin, he says, first of all, in verse 4, my vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. Our spiritual life gets just drained away when we're walking in open sin. But when there's a confession that comes, it says, God's forgiveness come, uh, comes. I acknowledge my sin. In verse 5, it says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me of the guilt of my sin. That brings freedom. How can a man stand and go through this and cheerfully give his defense? Cheerfully. What makes people like this? I am glad for this opportunity. It's because people are different. When the Holy Spirit fills them and they're walking with faith in God, their lives become different. They are different than other individuals. This is what happens to the believer. We are held more accountable. Jesus says, to those who are given much, much is expected. We are held more accountable. But there is also greater blessing in obedience. Because the Holy Spirit infills us, infuses us, and we're able to say, I gladly make a defense to you. And that's why I think Paul could stand and do this. He could gladly make a defense. And so going back to Acts Chapter 24, Acts chapter 24, then he starts to get into the specifics. He says, I want you to take note in verse 11 of chapter 24 of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. It was 12 days ago. Five days of that I was taking the Nazarite vow and then I was picked up. So, I only had five days there before I was in custody. That is too short of a time to be to, to be planning an insurrection. He says, they didn't find me in the temple, nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself. Did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot? Not only was I not causing a riot, they didn't find me in discussions with anyone. Why? Because I was busy with the Nazarite vow. They, I wasn't in any synagogues. I wasn't sitting around talking to anybody. There were no discussions. They didn't... I was busy with this Nazarite vow, and remember paying for the other folks' Nazarite vows. This kept them really busy. He says, they can't prove any of this. You can go back to the temple. You can ask the people. They know of the offerings. These things were reported. They were recorded. Their vow was being taken. I was busy with this. There is no evidence for these accusations. So as far as planning an insurrection with who? Just talking to myself? I wasn't talking with anyone. They can't prove to me, they say in verse 13, they cannot prove to you the charges of which they now accuse you. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve God. The God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and it is written in the prophets. And so then he got into explaining that, hey, as far as this thing about, you know, my being a Nazarene, as they call it. okay, that I am. But that's a sect of a religion has nothing to do with the breaking of roman law nor of of judaism because that was a valid sect they themselves called it a sect and we'll pick it up next time because it is so deep what this guy gets into and so exciting what he gets into it's probably best to start next week let's pray father i thank you so much for these scriptures for the word of god Father, I thank you that our countenance can be lifted up as we walk with you. Father, I thank you that the scriptures say that when we walk in transgression, it can consume us. But those who walk uprightly can sing. Father, thank you for that testimony. Thank you for the cheerful attitude this man could have. Father, teach us your ways. Teach us to walk uprightly. Father, when our sin is revealed to us, Father, let us confess it, lest it eat us away, lest our bones become weak within us. And Lord, I pray that You would, you would so work in our lives that, it, that, that our zeal, our joy, wouldn't be robbed as the fever heat of summer can rob. Father, that You would teach us to walk Your ways. Teach us, O oh Lord, to walk Your ways. And Lord, I commit these young people to You. Father, Your blessing and Your grace to be upon them. Father, the blessings and the grace of God, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.